If you have your Bibles, turn over to Hebrews 1, and we're going to go through three verses. If you don't have your Bibles, that's fine. You can listen because you'll be able to follow along. We're only going through three verses today. We're going to make it short and sweet to the point to build up your faith. Now, uh, while you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of background about the writer of Hebrews. We don't know exactly who he was. Um, some people say it was the Apostle Paul. Some say it was Apollos, who we read about in the book of Acts. There are some theologians who think it might have been somebody else. Um, but those are the two main contenders. The writer of Hebrews, when you go through the whole book, you see uh, what his intent is. Uh, the book basically is a sermon. Um, he repeats himself for emphasis, you know, and the purpose of the book is to get it into the hands or to preach to believing Jews who have become Christians who are considering renouncing the faith and going back under the law. He says, don't you dare think of doing that. And the reason is Jesus. It's all about Jesus, and that's one thing about verses 1 through 3 is this man writes about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not, uh, you know, this day and age we get into all kinds of small little subject matter and minutia of walking out the faith, but the big thing is you always keep Jesus in the forefront, because it's all about what God did in Jesus for us. So let's read the three verses, and then uh, we'll go back and try to unpack as much as we can in a short time. He writes, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the power of his word, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Anytime you have a crisis of faith, anytime you kind of wonder what your faith is all about, you can turn to Hebrews 1, read these three scriptures, because that right here is what our faith is all about. Now, let's go to verse 1. The writer writes, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Okay, what's he talking about? What's he doing? Well, he's writing to believing Jews who, what? They're aware of Israel's history going all the way back to Abraham. You know, God picks out Abraham, chooses Abraham, um, not based upon Abraham's merit, but chooses him to be, to be the channel through which he'll bless all nations. And so it's through Abraham, through the story of Israel, that we have the law, we have the worship, we have, you go through Romans 9 and Paul goes through a litany of things of uh, what God brought through the nation of Israel. Now, what the writer is doing here is 
He's meeting his audience where they are. He said, God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Well, the fathers were the patriarchs. And Israel was the only nation with prophets, true prophets, because God appointed the prophets. And so he's got his audience. uh, He's finding a common ground, actually, with his audience because he said, well, God spoke in time past. Yes, he did. He spoke to the nation of Israel. He actually created Israel. Now, just to kind of touch on this a minute, um, you know, when my wife got born again, we went over and uh, saw some friends of ours who are pastors. And, you know, my wife didn't have any kind of uh, Bible background at all or anything like that before she got saved. And so the pastor's wife told her, said, well, you know, we're New Testament Christians and the Old Testament, you know, it's kind of long and it gets bogged down. Uh, you don't have to worry about that at all. You can kind of throw that out. That's not really accurate. Um, as you see here, the writer of Hebrews goes back to the Old Testament and says, yes, God spoke at different times in various ways. And he's talking about the Old Testament. He doesn't have first hand knowledge of it, he's going back to Israel's holy scriptures. Now, by not uh, reading the Old Testament, you lose out of all kinds of ways that God spoke to the nation of Israel. You know, one time he spoke to Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, famous Isaiah, you know, Isaiah 53, and he told Isaiah, I need you to strip down totally and I won't need you to walk naked for three years without a stitch of clothing for three years. And the reason was uh, Israel was considering um, um, pairing up with Egypt in a military campaign, military alliance. And what God wanted to show Israel through Isaiah, naked Isaiah, is you see Isaiah, you see what's going to happen to the Egyptians. And God didn't want that military alliance to happen. Well, he didn't just have Isaiah just go speak to the king and say, hey, this is what God said. No, he was a walking billboard of what God was saying at the time for three years. Uh, God also spoke through the prophet Jonah. You know, Jonah was an unwitting player in a dramatic action that God initiated. What? For a revelation of how he was... What the Messiah was going to do and what he was, uh, how he was going to come, what he was going to come through, and that preaching was going to, or the gospel was going to go to the Gentiles. You go back to Moses, and you see that Moses goes up on the mountain and comes down with tablets written by the finger of God. You know, the prophets weren't just guys who, you know, went into their pastoral study and came up with some kind of messages. No, God spoke through them various ways to get his message across to Israel. And here in verse 1, you know, all the believing Jews reading this would nod their heads, oh yes, God spoke in various ways, various times, through the prophets, unto the fathers. No doubt about that. And then we come to verse 2. And this is an inflection point after actually the first sentence. And the writer says, hath in these last days, speaking of God, 
hath in these last days spoken unto us, unto us, I'm one of you, unto us by a son. Now, the King James put his in there, uh, puts the um, possessive in there, his son, because it's clear who he's talking about. In the Greek, it says a son, but then you know who he's talking about by verses 2 and 3. Now, feel the weight of this inflection point. God has spoken in times past, and that's over thousands of years. But hey, guess what? He has now spoken to us by a son. This is the same God, not a different God. And what he said in the past, that was a foundation for what he is saying now by a son. And let me interject here. If you go to Luke 24, Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus, and he's talking to Cleopas and a friend of Cleopas. And what comes up? The Psalms. Uh, the law, and the prophets. And Jesus tells them they were all written about him. The Old Testament is a foundation to get, the, uh, to get the word into the earth. The word being what? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Actually, your theology uh, really kind of comes together when you see that the nation of Israel was a channel for God to get the Messiah into the earth. That's why he chose Abraham. And you see all of uh, Israel's history. Israel was a channel to bless all nations. That goes back to the very, uh, you know, to the initial promise. But you go to verse 2, and he says, Hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. Well, if the Son is the heir of all things, then, you know, those outside of the Son are the heirs of nothing. And that's part of the point that he draws out in the book of Hebrews. God has summed up everything in the Lord Jesus Christ. You had the nation of Israel where, what, Jesus was a Jew, uh, you know, the seed of David by the flesh, so he could get into the earth, and that was the channel by which he could save all of creation. And the writer of Hebrews basically says that here, whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the worlds. When you go back to the Greek, it says, by whom also he made the ages. We have what? Well, we have the age of sin and death, but that's going to pass away. And it's going to pass away when Jesus returns for his church and for a new heaven and new earth. His death, burial, and resurrection, basically his resurrection created a brand new age. Otherwise, this age will continue forever, the death-doomed age. But he, what? He conquered death, and he has introduced a new age that's going to be inaugurated in full when he returns. Right now, we have the down payment of it by the spirits. Amen. But when he returns, what? Then we become fully glorified, including our physical bodies. And that is the new age to come. Now, 
Verse 3 is interesting to me because just um, just a couple weeks ago, I was reading you know, some article by a Christian writer. He's a younger Christian writer, and um, he's a nationally known writer, actually. And the, uh, the point of his article was that although he, he put it this way, he subscribes being Christian, he said, actually, none of us can really know who God is because we put our own thoughts, our own suppositions on who his person is. And so none of us can really know who God is. That's what the premise of the article was. And halfway through, I thought, well, this is actually anti-scriptural. Why? Because Jesus said in the Gospels, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And when Jesus said that, he's not talking just about his personality. You know, he said, hey, I'm a happy-go-lucky guy. And you know what? If you've seen me, you know that God or Yahweh is a happy-go-lucky guy. No. He said, if you see me, if you see me now, you've seen the Father because you've seen the Father in action. You've seen the Father sending forth his Son in order to save the world. You know, Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world, I came to save it. Well, that's by the plan of the Father. So in verse 3, uh, moving along, the writer of Hebrews says, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. You know, that's totally consistent with John, who what? In the beginning was God, or was the Word, and the word was with God, and you go back into the Greek, and it's uh, the word was face-to-face, meaning of the same essence as God, and the word was God. Although the word wasn't, God and the word aren't one and the same, but of they're of the same essence, and that's what the writer brings out here. When you see Jesus, both in person and and why he's even walking on the ground, then you've seen the Father. You've seen the character of the Father. Jesus is the express, uh, is the brightness or the radiance of his glory or his character. Amen. And again, you go back to who's the writer writing to? He's writing to Jewish believers. And he's, he's, putting Jesus right there with God who spoke in sundry times past. This God that you served in the past, this Jesus is the express image of his person. Amen. Now, the writer goes on and says, "...and upholding all things by the word of his power." Now, let me get to the next phrase, and it says, "...when he had by himself..." Purged our sins. There's so much wrapped up in that. It's um, it's just unbelievable. Because that gets into the mechanics. He purged our sins. He didn't uh, he didn't make an offering for our sins. He didn't uh, he didn't move them to the side. He purged them. And then you have to think, well, how in the world did he do that? How in the world did he purge our sins? Oh, let me add in here that the writer of Hebrews, along with all the other gospel writers, and also the Lord Jesus himself, um, sin is a serious thing. It's real. 
It's not psychology. It's not just, you know, a, a kind of way of doing things. It is spiritual death. On the spiritual side, it's just as real as spiritual life. And so there was a sin problem because what? Men are mired in sin, and God had to do something in order to purge that sin. And so he sent forth Jesus. Now, you look at the scripture, and it says, when he had by himself purged our sins, that comes into his faithfulness. You go back to the Garden of Gethsemane. You see, Jesus, he, uh, he isolates himself from the other disciples, and what? He, he has to come to grips with what is about to happen to him. Mark writes that he was absolutely terrorized by what was revealed to him, by what he saw. Then you go over to Luke's gospel, and Luke said that he was so terrorized that he sweated great drops of blood. And you can Google it. It's possible. When, when somebody's under so much stress, it's possible to sweat blood. There are medical cases for that. So what was he sweating blood about? God was about to make him sin. That's how he was going to purge our sins. He was going to be made our sins. He didn't sin himself, but he offered himself up. And God made him sin. That's in 2 Corinthians 5.21. In Isaiah 53, you read that the Father crushed him with pain or disease or the context is with sin. He became our sin, and that's how he purged it. And once he purged it, you see the very next line, he says, and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. If you skip over to Philippians, you see that, what? When God resurrected him, he gave him the name above every name. Why? Because there wasn't ever going to be another act like this ever in the history of mankind, or even in the history of God. This was the pivotal, the absolute pivotal, highest point of history right here, when he, what, purged our sins and then sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It was only after he had done that that he was given the name, what, above every name. And now he's seated there at the right hand of the majesty on high. So you go back to verse 1, and you see what the writer is doing. He's saying, okay, God spoke before, and now look at what he has said. He has spoken to us by a son, and guess what? That son is seated at the majesty of the right hand or the right hand of the majesty on high. He is at God's right hand. So later on in chapters 5 and 6, he says you do not want to uh, turn your back on the faith. Turning your back on the faith is turning your back on the Son, and it's also turning your back on the Father, because the Father and the Son are one. They are one in this, in the purging of sin. Amen. Amen. So, 
Um, like I said, anytime that you have a crisis of faith, you come over to uh, Hebrews 1 and you read these three verses because this is the gospel in a nutshell. This, uh, and this is what the gospel is all about. You know, in our modern age, we have all kinds of, uh, oh, we have all kinds of side things, you know, conferences on this, conferences on that. And actually, a lot of the preaching these days is all about us. You can see here that the writer of Hebrews, all the preaching is about the Son, what He did for us. It's all about God's redemption of what God the Father did in Jesus Christ in order to, what, reconcile us to Him. And that's what the Bible is about. One last thing. In verse 2, the writer says, he has spoken in these last days unto us by his Son. Many times today, we get so much into what? Study outlines and everything else of, quote, knowing the Bible. The Bible is the testimony of the Son. Actually, the Bible is inspired evidence of what God did in Jesus Christ in reconciling us to himself. Amen. And that's the way that the Bible should be viewed. Notice that the writer didn't say, hath in these last days spoken to us by some holy writings. No, he's spoken to us by a son. And so we always keep Jesus in the forefront of our minds and our hearts. It's great to know the word because by, the, by knowing the word, we understand who he is and what he did for us. But we don't serve the word, we serve the son. Amen. And we serve the Father through the Son. So let me do this. Let me give you the benediction. And this is out of Hebrews 13. As I read the benediction to you, keep in mind what the verses that we just went through. Because it's repeated over and over. It said, Now may the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect or mature in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.